1: Antonio Conte is off to Juventus. But to be fair, if I had to play Arsenal next, I'd want to leave the country too. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the black man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Antonio Conte, could he be off to Juventus? They need a manager. He doesn't like to stick around in any one place, and we know he doesn't want to be at Tottenham. He made that clear after he arrived. I guess he's doing okay there, but given the opportunity to leave right before having to play the mighty Arsenal, you could understand if he decided now was the time to take off and take off, he may. Um, I want to just start with a little bit of admin. You know what? I'm not going to start with admin. Let me do this. Let me introduce Tim. He's on Twitter. At Hello, Tim. Hello there. I, I caught you there because I suggested I was going to do the admin, and then I wound up not doing the admin. But anyway, uh, what I do want to say is a, a lot of you voted for us in the Football Content Award preliminary round. And so thank you for doing that. Like, it is it is pretty wild because there are obviously a lot bigger podcasts than ours, but we are a mighty crew and a mighty community. And we, we do come together. Uh, We've come together for the arsenal foundation, which we will be doing again, by the way, this season Uh, have a call next week to sort of start putting those gears in motion. But, now it is the final round of the Football Content Awards. I have been reliably told that our uh, blog, the Ars Cast, is on for, for bigger stuff, admittedly, is fair. Uh, so we would be thrilled and humbled if you would vote for us. We'll put out some tweets on how to do that, but basically, you can look up the Football Content Awards, their website. You can just vote for one category or, or all the categories if you want. There's friends and people you'll recognize running in other categories. We are up against a Tottenham podcast, so we do want to represent. Can't have can't have them winning trophies because we know that's not what they're about, and uh, yeah. So basically, it would be brilliant if you would do that. You can you can go to Twitter and do it. You can do it on other social channels, and of course, you can just do it on their website. And there's no registration or sign up or anything like that. So just something you can do if you're so inclined. And I'll get tweets out on on how to do that. So uh, with that out of the way, that self indulgent nonsense out of the way, uh, for patrons, I will let you know that the the Brighton, uh, Brighton the Brentford rewatch is coming. Uh, We just haven't had a chance to get it out yet, but we got two weeks of a hell of a lot of nothing again. It's crazy. The month of September, I think we're going to play once. Like, absolutely wild. But anyway, all right, let's get into this. So, Tim, there are very few times that I want to talk about Tottenham Hotspur, but we have a derby coming up, and there does seem to be this weird fascination with Tottenham's position in the table, their results, and how they're playing. And so I thought it was a, a decent time for us to ask the question, what do we think of Tottenham? Now, I think shit, but when I say that on social channels, I've gotten a lot of blowback, and to be fair, I like to think that our podcast is about having an actual debate about things and not just falling into tribal cliches, so we can get the cliche out there, all the shit, but let's let's have it out. Let's have a discussion. What are Tottenham doing right now? Firstly, do you think there's any possible meat on the bone that Conte could go to Juve, and could it be good timing for us to have this out in the ether prior to the derby?
2: Yeah, so on the Juve links, I mean, I certainly not now. Um, all, all the stuff I've read and heard is that Juve are, are not prepared to act on the Allegri thing yet. Actually, Juve are not a massively trigger happy club with their uh, with their managers. They do tend to give them time. They did with Pirlo, for example, uh, probably longer than they should have. Like they they generally they give their managers time. I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being Conte's next club whenever that is. But all, all I think all the noises are from Turin are definitely nothing will happen yet with Juve. And if it does, it won't be till the World Cup. So okay. th- there is no doubt that he would be linked with that. And yeah, you've got to think he'd be interested, right? I know he's managed there before, but to do a similar job to the one that he did at Inter, where Inter hadn't won the league for a few years, and he came back and just kind of said, right, let's win you the league, shall we? Thanks, done that and then off he went to his next job, which seems to be more in keeping, really, because this this Tottenham job, it doesn't feel to me like he's in this for the long haul at all. It feels like um, he was maybe waiting for the Man United job, didn't get it, and thought, oh, I really want to work again. <laughs> and, and there have been a couple of times where... I, and I know this is Conte's whole thing, right? He always threatens to leave and says he hates the board and all of that, but it really felt like this summer... It really looked to me like after Conte got them fourth, he was like, "Look, spend a stack of money this summer, otherwise I'm off." Because they did their business early as well, and that to me showed that they were like, "Okay, okay, Mr. Conte, we'll spend all the money you want us to spend, Mr. Conte. Please stay, Mr. Conte." <laughs> and 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 he did. But I, you know, I, I I don't think anyone thinks that this is any kind of long term relationship. And as much as Juve might be looking at Conte. Um, as a kind of, uh, you know, striking up a a summer romance again, Pochettino's kind of lurking as well. And we already know that Spurs did entertain, before they got Conte, did entertain the idea of bringing Pochettino back. In fact, that looked relatively likely um, at one point. So you could end up with, uh, it it won't happen now, but I wouldn't be surprised if Conte goes back to Juve and Pochettino comes back to Spurs at some point in the next year.
1: Well, let me ask you on the, on the Pochettino thing, would you welcome that? I mean, I tend to think it doesn't work well when you do that. I I don't think, I don't think going back tends to work, but do you have a, do you have a sense that it it could be a good fit and he he might find the magic again? I'm of all the options they have. He's one I'd rather they pass on because there are guys out there that would be funnier (laughs) <laughs> certainly Santa. some gilet-wearing gilet uh, former coaches that I would rather see back. But, but what's your take on if they did go that direction?
2: I, I agree with you. I, I don't necessarily think it worked. work. I, d- I don't think they'd be a bad team um, by any means because Pochettino's a really good coach, but it's not his team anymore. Um, right. And in fact, when you look at Spurs, basically, as much as it sticks in the craw to say it, they used to be a really good all-round team. And one by one... Little bits have started to come. So Larice is thirty-five, right? He's been their goalkeeper for the last ten years. That's going to be an issue for them. Butong and Nowdeviro would have gone, and I'm not sure Davinson Sanchez is like the answer to that. Um, to be fair, Romero does look quite good, even if he's a red card waiting to happen. Like mm-hmm. Ali's gone and they haven't really replaced him ericsson when i don't think they've really replaced him basically what's happened is that team has been stripped back and it really kind of is just kane and son and that's that's don't get me wrong that's the best part of their team but you know it reminds me of like when we watch obviously like from a much higher level right when you watch the invincibles start um start getting stripped away and it's like ah it, it kind of just is Henri now, isn't it? It's not like <laughs> Henri Perez, Burkamp, Vieira, and you watch them go one by one and you're like, well, it's probably the best one, arguably, but it's, it's still just one. And I think that's where, where Spurs are. And I, I don't think Conte will want a bar of that long-term project of trying yeah, to replace Kane and Son, like when that happens. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I it, it's not Pochettino's team. And even like, it was going downhill like he left for a reason right because it was going downhill and the signings he'd brought in or that were brought in for him I I'm not really clear on that like Ndombele players like that just didn't work and um, yeah so I, I'm not sure picking up not even picking up from where he left off probably picking up overall not as good a team as the one that he at least moulded into his own image um, I'm not sure how that would go to be honest
1: yeah it, it It's interesting, right? Because this whole Tottenham thing feels like a house of cards built on top of Kane and Son. That's what it feels like to me. And Tottenham have not had a player like Kane in their history. They may not have a player like him again. And certainly, whatever his future is, this can only last for so long. I would reject the idea that they can reproduce this. And I would reject the idea that the way they play football can work absent the talent they have. The interesting question that a lot of people are asking right now is whether it's working even with the talent they have. And a lot of people say, well, they're undefeated. They're making a genuine title challenge. Rodri has come out and said they're going to make a title challenge. I mean, I'm not sure why that matters. Obviously, they're not going to make a title challenge. I think the the issue is that there are people that look at what they're doing and believe that it is sustainable because – They do have that talent up front, and they have a system that is designed to basically do one thing, get the ball to the talented up front players as quickly as possible, and have them create high-quality chances with their exceptional skill. I do think a lot of the narrative around Tottenham, Tim, might be different if their game at City hadn't been postponed. Now, I know they always beat City somehow, but it would have been a really interesting referendum on what's now going to be a referendum in our game, which is the good, right way to play football, my words, versus the bad, terrible way to play football, again, my words, theirs. And seeing, because some would just say, well, they're just a counterattacking side. I have thoughts on that, but let, let's start with this. Do you, do you feel that what they're doing is a reasonable and suitable way to, to make the most out of that elite attacking talent they have up front? Um, as, you know, some people suggest it is.
2: Yeah, so there's there's a few interesting things going on there. I think we should reference as well. Son was dropped um recently. Yeah. Um but then he came on and scored a hat-trick because th- the thing is with Sun, like he hadn't been playing well up to that point. And cuz the thing is with Son if he's not scoring, he's not actually a brilliant all-round player. He's a brilliant like way of scoring goals and pinning teams back and running in behind and making you ragged and all of that. But if you give him the ball in the middle of the pitch, like he's not a fantastic footballer. And I don't say that as an inter-Arsenal. I've had plenty of those over the years and I've loved them because right. they're great in the final third, so who cares? But... You know, while it seemed like for a while it wasn't massively working for Sun, so he's let, and obviously they've spent a lot of money on Richarlison this summer. And the whole point of that, I have to say, I think that was a really good signing just because he can fill in for both of them um, and he can give them both a little bit of a break. He can play with them. Like, I have to say, I think that was quite a smart piece of business, but, and he's Premier League ready, so I think he's kind of mm-hmm. ready to do that. But, of course, Sun comes on and scores a hat-trick against Leicester, so that's that problem solved. The the quintessential question around Spurs at the moment that I don't think any of us really know the answer to cuz look so they got 17 points from out of 21 so far they they're a point behind us like that's yeah. that's they they're doing well okay mm-hmm. like they're getting good results but i don't think anyone thinks that they're particularly playing well and and even like their underlying stats aren't fantastic so the question is are spurs like going through a sticky patch of performances but still banking up the points and therefore will look really dangerous when they actually look good um, or are they just really brilliantly in in Premier League terms? Anyway, not in the Champions League, but brilliantly in Premier League terms, just negotiating poor form. Or are they shit and getting lucky? And this isn't sustainable. That's the million dollar question. And like, because basically, if their performances continue like this, I don't think it's sustainable. Even if you say, oh, but they're a counter-attacking team and all they want to do is get the ball to Kane and Son. And there there is more than a germ of truth in that. But even in that respect, I don't think they've looked brilliant this season. And I can tell, because again, I have to say, I think in the second half of last season, they did look really good doing that, right? Whatever you think of um, how entertaining or attractive the football is, I was watching them in the spring and thinking, yeah, this is a team that, just looks like a good counter-attacking team I don't think Tottenham look like that at the moment and so that's the question are they going to get better and these are like scary results they're getting in their good period the the other thing I'd read about Conte as well is that he's very very keen on periodization and that um, if you look deeper into some of their pressing metrics they actually press more in the final 20 minutes of games. And so there's a suggestion that Conte kind of does this standoffish thing on purpose so that A, they can be more effective late in games, but also so they can be more effective later in the season in terms of their intensity. So these are all questions that, that will come out in the wash in the next few months.
1: Do you mind if I hit you with some stats here now, just as Go an interlude, it. people can mute this and at this, <laughs> at this point have a conversation with their partner. Um, so, the big debate, Tim, for me, is people say it's effective football. And I think the word effective is something we use when you get results in a way that people don't like looking at, right? So the question is, what is effective? I want to recall – do you remember um, we had a coach named Unai Emery? Goes back a little way. Do you remember that?
2: I I, I, uh, I, I think – um, right did you ever see Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind?
1: <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah,
2: I, I had that treatment done.
1: I was going to go with the men in black uh, flashy thing, <laughs> uh, Neuralizer. But uh, do you remember the 22-game 22 un- 22 unbeaten run?
2: I I've, I vaguely recall it, yeah.
1: We had a lot of conversations about that on the pod. And to be fair, a lot of them that weren't very popular because I think we were a bit of a wet blanket at that time. But the point of the, the doubt that we cast on the 22-game unbeaten run was – if we keep playing this way, are we going to see results start to come back to what the performances suggest they should? So let me hit you with a few data points here because I think that they will be interesting at the least. So first, let's let let's look at, I know looking at Tottenham gives us nausea. And by the way, if you're saying, why are we talking about Tottenham? Two reasons. One, we play them next, so we want to understand what we have coming up. Two, they are our rival and, and they have finished above us and it is time for us to retake our natural place. And because... I do think it is relevant because they are one of the teams outside of Manchester City. They're a team we can and must get over this season, <clears throat> in my view. So, Tim, a few things here. Firstly, if you look at their games, everybody says, oh, Arsenal haven't played anybody yet. When you played United, you lost. Well, we, we outplayed United, in my view, but yes, that's true. Okay, Tottenham have won against Southampton, Wolves, Nottingham Forest, Fulham, and a Leicester City team that is desperate for Rodgers to go. In several of those games, by the way, including the Leicester City game, the expected goals were roughly even. I mean, against Leicester City, who they beat 6-2, they scored a lot of brilliant goals. It was 1.7 to 1.7 unexpected goals. Okay? In the Champions League, they played twice. Pounded Marseille, got beat 2-0 by Sporting. All right? That's what they've done so far. In the other games where they played competent teams, Chelsea away, they got drubbed in my view, but they, they had a 2-2 draw. And West Ham away... I also think they kind of got drubbed and got a 1-1 draw, So they have the same situation we do, you could argue, which is they've played basically nobody. When they've played somebody, they haven't done great. When they've played nobody, they've won. And in some instances, they still didn't do great. So I don't know why we're going gaga over them. they expected goal difference, okay? And this is important. So can I frame this conversation slightly differently, Tim? The one thing I want to point out is when I'm saying I don't think Tottenham are good, I don't mean they're going to finish 10th. I mean, I think the ceiling of their ambition with the way they play is fourth. I think 74 points, 71 points, 76 points. I think that's capable, doable for them. I don't think 82, 83, 84, beyond. I don't think that kind of stuff is doable the way they're playing. Okay, their expected goal difference right now is roughly around the range of what fourth place finishes at every single season, roughly. They have a .65 expected goals per 90. We have a one expected goal per 90 difference. Manchester City have a 1.75. Both of those are more in line with what you'd expect at the top of the table. I promise I'm going to stop with the, the data dump in a second here. But this is the one that riled people up on Twitter. So, Tim, are you familiar with field tilt?
2: I am indeed, so, yes.
1: Okay, so field tilt is not possession. Let me be clear about what it is. It is the percent of final third touches for you versus the other team. So if there are 100 final third touches... And I have 80 of them, and you have 20 of them. I have 80% of the field tilt. In 2019, here are the top four teams in field tilt. 2019, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United. Arsenal, who were dreadful, finished mid-table in that. City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United. Okay? In 2020, here were the top four teams, top five teams. City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United, Arsenal. In 2021, here were the top four teams. City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal. And in 2022, as of right now, here are the top four teams. City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea. Tottenham Hotspur are 16th. Uh, Pardon me, 17th. They have 40% field tilt, meaning that for every 100 final third touches, their opponent has 60 of them. Tim, the reason I think this matters is because this is a team that isn't just counter-attacking. It's not about that. This is a team that makes it very easy to progress the ball into their defensive third and very rarely gets it into the opposition final third. And if you look at a a chart of all of the teams over the last 10 years that have played that way, Tottenham are way out on the outlier range of any of those teams in terms of their success success in terms of getting goals versus conceding goals. So uh, when you hear all these advanced metrics, and I realize that's a lot of data dump, so I apologize. Does it give you pause to say it stands in opposition to the idea that their approach long-term can be successful? Or do you think it ignores the fact that with elite attacking talent, a different approach makes sense? How how compelling is the data to you as a counterfactual for, for the argument that they can be successful doing this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what a lot of listeners will be kind of saying now is like, yeah, but they keep finishing in the top four. <laughs> so they mm. keep being this outlier. So that does suggest sustainability. But I think the thing is, it's sustainability based very, 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 very intently around the availability of, of well, I'll say two players. To be fair, Kane's been injured quite a bit. He wasn't last season, but he's been injured quite a few seasons. So, but they have son as well, right? So mm. he he tends to be able to carry it off on his own, um as well. So, you know, really you you look at if they lost both of them, they'd be fucked. We yeah. all know that. But yeah. like I I almost feel like that's redundant saying that. Like it's you know, if the Invincibles had lost Vieira and Henri for six months, they would have been you know, may, maybe not fu- because again, better team and all of that. But do you know what I mean. Any team loses its two best players, of course, they're to some degree fucked. But I think Tottenham would be really, 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 really fucked. Um, but but I, you know, I feel like that's a bit of a statement in the obvious. For me, what's real? Like they're still going to be strong this season, right? I I still think like you know maybe both of us will get in the top four um this year i think that's what i like i you know spurs are definitely going to be there or thereabouts um and you know it might be one of us third one of us fourth um i i kind of do see this season potentially going that way the the more interesting question for me is like what next like what do they do next because they're not going to have conte Um, when that question comes up so Conte is not planning for that future he's in fact he's already made remarks about like you know they signed Jed Spence this summer and Conte kind of said very explicitly it's not my signing like Conte doesn't want 21 year olds and 21 year old wing backs wing backs are very very crucial position in his team and like the the data you've just laid out there kind of explains why because they don't really play with the midfield Right. Yep. Um and this is the other interesting thing about them is that they're not playing any of their new signings yet. And this isn't this isn't um unfamiliar with Conte because he's such a system coach mm. that he wants players to learn the system before there there are like um there are—I uh, was going to say objections. That's not exceptions. There are mm-hmm, exceptions like Kulisevsky, yeah. but Kulisevsky was like he fits this system, and he's already played under me, so he knows it. And and everything well, Charleston's like that. played a
1: bit, I guess.
2: And, yeah, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But Basuma's not starting. No. Like they're still going with Hoyberg, and um, I can't remember their other but like their their midfield just seems to be in anything other than just sitting in front of the back. Like they play with their back three with a double pivot in front of it, like that. Kind of tells you a little bit about <laughs> how much they're set up to I mean, absorb pressure.
1: Yeah, Bentoncourt, uh Eric Dyer starts for them. Like it, yeah. it's just and I, and maybe maybe the f- the fair point is, Conte has developed a system that lets them play with Sanchez, Langlet, Dyer, Hoiberg, Bentoncourt and still win football matches. Yeah. Maybe he's a g- damn genius, right? I mean, like... but Yeah, but, like know, Emerson we,
2: Royale is is playing, and everyone hates him. Hates
1: him. <laughs> they, yeah, they hate him. They, they yeah. literally hate him. You know what? A, that's a fair point. I mean, there, there is an argument. I mean, if you look at some of the complaints I've had with Arteta prior to this season, we talked about Goldilocks systems, right? And, oh, it only works if all the exact right players are available, because we have struggled with some mediocre teams, let's be fair, to be even decent. If we didn't have a good team, we were eighth, right? And I look at guys like Romero and Dyer and Langlet, Emerson, Hoiberg, Betancourt. I mean, it's, it's a cavalcade of mediocrity, and they're making it work. So I, I do think Conte deserves credit for that. I think the thing you have to remember, though, is basically the last four seasons, they've been somewhere between like 52 points or whatever and 71 I think 71 is roughly the ceiling for the way they want to play, the talent they have, and what they're doing. Now, you can say, but that's a good team. If that's the ceiling of your ambition, then yes, they can be a good team. They can be a fourth-place team, roughly. What I'm saying is I don't think that they can get beyond that as yeah. they are currently going about things,
2: really. and also, I think the other thing we probably forget because they finished above us on the last day was the last time we finished eighth; they finished seventh, like what a point above us. So they mm-hmm. were just as cra- and, and we were, crap.
1: Yeah, yeah, were, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: They too. were just yeah. as crap as we were, like under Mourinho. And and I guess the thing is, they they've got like Kane and Son are in those peak years, probably just beginning to. I mean, we're not seeing it yet. But like it's coming. We know it's coming. The kind of the slight tail off. And they've got a coach who is not interested in anything beyond this season. So like short term, they're going to be dangerous. They're going to be dangerous next weekend. They're going to be dangerous for our area of the table. Like, absolutely no doubt about it. I am kind of I'm reasonably confident that from like, I don't know, 2020, maybe next season, maybe the season after. They, they, they could be. They, they're in for some. Like you look at Liverpool at the moment, and Liverpool have been like perfect at everything. And even they are struggling with the age curve now. Of some of their players, just replacing one player like Mane is causing them a lot of problems at the moment. Like, and Liverpool are a lot better than Spurs are. So, and and look, we've seen it ourselves. We've been through it ourselves many times. That when you kind of cycle off, as it were, like. I do wonder what Tottenham's plan is going to be at that point, because Conte that that's not going to be Conte's not even thinking about that, let alone is he going to be in no. charge of that. So it's like, who is going to be in charge of that for Spurs? Maybe Pochettino again. May and, and do you know what, actually, to go back to our earlier discussion, maybe that would make him a decent appointment if you just go, All right, this team needs knocking down and building up again like you did last, can you just do what you did last time, please? Yeah. yeah. And like knock it down and build it up again. And I don't know, maybe that's a better job for a manager like Pochettino than um, PSG and begging Neymar and Mbappe to press and them laughing at him. Um, But yeah. So, so, you know, I, I, unfortunately I do think what they're doing is sustainable for this season. I, I do. I'm not sure I see a long term future for it, though.
1: Yeah, I think the way I would say it is: it probably, if I wanted to give Conte credit, I would say it is probably a brilliant approach to get as much juice from the squeeze as you can with this group. They are not going to play attractive football with the with the players they have now. Some of that is what he chose, but to be fair, if you've got uh, Harry Kane pushing thirty on dodgy ankles, Youngman's on at thirty. And and you want to maximize what you can do with them. They don't press, they don't run around, they stand, you know, up the pitch and they wait for the ball to get to them and then they switch on. They're going to the World Cup. He's got to maximize them, you know, through that season. We'll see how it works. I mean, my and my argument is essentially that there's a ceiling to what that yeah. can do. You
2: know? And in terms of looking after those front two, look at where they've spent the money. Kuliszewski, Rashalison. Like they've spent money on foil for those guys, on yep. guys who can come on for them, come in for them, or in Kulaszewski's case, do all their running. Like that's where they're allocating their resource. They're allocating their resource into the area that's already pretty strong. Yeah. And that's why they've got Hoiberg in midfield. Who who, again, mm-hmm. to be fair, for a Conte system, like if you just want a destroyer in the middle of the pitch. You know, he he did that with Conte. Uh, Conte, Cante, get the ball, Diego
1: Costa, and yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah,
2: precisely. So, yeah, it it, it does what. And and look, Conte's no idiot. He's built these systems every team he's been at, and he's had he's had success every time. So,
1: I, I'll say this though: like, you got to win, you got to win with it, because we've all been there. There is a lot more patience for attractive, fun football than there is for ugly, cynical football that gets results. It's why Mourinho wear, wears out his welcome so quickly, you know. And I think th- there are there are a lot of Spurs fans that are really happy right now. But under the surface, if you pick at it, there's a lot of Spurs fans talking about the football not being particularly attractive or compelling. So we'll see which wins out. What frustrates me, Tim, is that I really do think, especially because we lost to United with counterattack and goals going against that, we rewatched both halves on Patreon. The second half in particular, we were fantastic. I know nobody wants to hear that because we lost. We we didn't lose because we were naive. They were absolutely on it on in the counterattack that game. We maybe got a little too, maybe this is naive, we maybe got a little too exuberant after scoring the goal thinking we had them, but we did have them. What worries me, not worries me, bothers me is this game is going to be a referendum on the right way to do it. If Spurs somehow get a result in the Derby, there's going to be column inches filled on Arsenal's pretty football, no match for Spurs' counterattack. And like Tottenham have beaten Manchester City basically every time they played them the last few seasons, or at least not dropped points. Manchester City keep finishing with mid 90s points and win leagues. And Tottenham once have finished over 70 points. The counterattacking style, it, you know. It, I still think there's a right way to play football if you want to accrue maximum points to start challenging for titles. And in my view, that way of playing is controlling the ball in dangerous areas and scoring lots of goals doing it. And, and so I, I don't, I mean, I think we're going to win the Derby. I hope we win the Derby. Regardless of what happens in that game, I do not think it's a referendum on the right way to play because the goal isn't to win the Derby. The goal is to win the title. At some, let's be honest, I know the whole top four is a trophy thing. Yeah, we want to be top four. The goal of this project is to open a window that we can do what Liverpool did, walk through it and be a champion, be a Premier League title winning team. And we can get there playing this way. And I don't think you can get there playing that way, not in this current league. So how do you feel about this, the Derby coming up in terms of people wanting to use it as a referendum on style um, or or. Are we, are we comfortable saying the style we're using is the right style for this project long-term? Let's not make it a referendum on
2: that. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be because there's an element of what wins the battle and what wins the war. Exactly, um, well said, yes. Going on. And one of the things, I guess, as an aside that's interesting with City at the moment, um, and, and I think understandably, I'm expecting them to walk away with the title, but like they keep going behind in games. and But what's really clear is that bringing in Haaland has sacrificed an element of control for them that they kind of like, but he scores so many goals. It almost doesn't matter. So they're almost like moving into Spurs territory in a weird way in that they're becoming more built around an absolutely elite striker rather than having six midfielders and not giving you the ball all the time. (laughs) Um, But, but like, absolutely. I I think it's more likely that what will happen is if we don't win, people will come away and, and look, with a fair amount of justification and say, well, look, you've played Tottenham and Man United so far this season and not won either of them. Um yeah. So what, like, what really are your aspirations? I, I, I think my response to that would be, well, look, if we beat the other 14 teams <laughs> twice, uh, sorry, 13, because, well, well, we can beat ourselves. Um, we've seen that many <laughs> times over yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and look, no one ever gets like, absolutely six points off of all of those teams all of the time. But you know, that's 78 points up for grabs right there. So um, you know, I, I I think that would be my response, and that actually once we grow a little bit more into this style of football, that that then maybe it will be like a bit better in the bigger games. But then we really played like this at home to City um last season and and we really should have won that game. So I I I think you've got to do you. I think that's the, the the lesson of any good team. Like when Leicester won the league in 2016, I remember all these kind of well. Maybe counter attacking football is the way to do it now. And it's like, no. The the lesson of Leicester is not to play like Leicester. The lesson of Leicester is to play to your strengths. And
1: the look- lesson of Leicester is have the second place team. Only have 71 points that season yeah. and win the yeah, title yeah. with a number that's never won it before. I mean, not to take anything away from them, but that's part of the lesson, right?
2: Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but like we're clearly building a team long term that can play yeah. this way and that can hopefully get better at playing this way and better and better. And again, I don't, I don't see that with Spurs. I see them at the end rather than at the beginning of something. So look, if we lose to Spurs, yeah like all of that all of that is going to happen and all of the guys who cover like Spurs for the Athletic for example will be like told you told you (laughs) told you and all of this and we you know we are just going to have to eat that um, and see how the whole season plays out ultimately but um, I, I think I'm with you. Like I I'm not I'm not as concerned by what Spurs are doing because it, it does suit them at the moment. At the moment it suits them. I'm more interested in how they handle the upcoming transition that they've got. And I'm I'm not sure I like I say I'm not confident. Like I don't want them to handle it well, so I don't want to have confidence, but do you know what I mean? I'm not I'm not sure no, I know. where that question is. But in terms of this game, what the North London derby in recent years shows you as well is that home advantage really matters. We've moved into this kind of period where the home team usually wins the derby. Um, And, and obviously I, I think the more that happens, the more the pressure does come on when you're playing at home. And like, I'd almost rather play them away next weekend and just kind of go, do you know what? Draw would be fine here. Or like, could live with a draw. It feels like we have to win this game, if you know what I mean. And and look, we've built up like a good enough point bank that a draw, certainly no type of disaster or anything like that. But, you know, it, it does feel a little bit more like we've got to win this game. And I do think, even though we've only got one more point than Spurs this season, it does feel like more of the focus has been on us because we've been at the top of the league, whereas they've only been one point behind. Mm. Um, and and I think that does bring a little bit of extra pressure, but I also don't really know how incidental it is for anything other than people like us who have to talk about it on podcasts. I don't I don't really know whether that has any impact on the players or the coach. I, I suspect not.
1: Yeah, I and I I think we can start to move on to a couple other things in the league and and general topics that I, that I had in mind. I I think it's going to be really interesting. It's it is definitely the case that. Look, I'm old enough to remember when Arsenal had a coach named Arsene Wenger, a manager named Arsene Wenger, and there were some seasons there where we lost 5-1 to Liverpool and 6-0 to Chelsea and finished top four. And I realize the league has changed. And to some extent, you can't just get battered by the top six and still finish top four because one of the other ones will get in there. But to your point about winning the battle and winning the war, I, th- I think Spurs have proven that their approach can win them big games against good teams. Maybe even more than we have proven that our approach can. And that is an interesting point to consider. But I, I, do, I think, in terms of just point accumulation, I like what we're doing. And maybe this is the point we say focus on ourselves. Our metrics are great. Whatever you think of whether their metrics are okay or they're terrible, they play, their football's effective or their football's rubbish. Our football works, period. That's clear. It worked against United, it didn't get the result. And I know there's some people listening that will bristle at that and say, but that's the point, but you can play well and not get like if, if the only way you can ever evaluate football is if you got the result, that's going to be tricky because even Manchester city loses games, right? No one's gone unbeaten since Arsenal in 2003, 2004. So like if you don't go unbeaten, there's going to be a game where you lose. Does that mean your football isn't good? I don't think that's what that means. So I want to talk a little bit, actually, about Liverpool and the wider Premier League. I think there's some things changing uh, there and sort of look ahead to, to the challenge of what we have going on and, and realistically what we can achieve. But I also need to tell you that UEFA Champions League soccer is back, streaming on Paramount Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold your breath, the exhilaration is underway with the biggest stars, top teams, and craziest bad bases. Oh, Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout round as Benzema and Real Madrid Defend their title against Liverpool. Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, and more. In soccer's biggest club competitions. so don't miss a single sweat. So second, regulation time stops time next time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount Plus. And the Europa League. Because that's what we're in. Now, you want to be healthy? No, you don't want to be healthy. Y- y- do you? Do y- yeah, you no. Yeah? Yeah, you do. Of course you do. Do you want to have 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens? No? Of course you do. You want to sleep better? Have more energy? Have more focus? Have better gut health? No, nah, yeah, of course you do. It means you take AG1. That's what I do. I got in a big bottle. You take the AG1. You drink the AG1. You feel better from the AG1. Why? Because it has those adaptogens, those vin- vin- minerals, minerals, vitamins. It's food source, so it actually stays in your body instead of going off and, into your pee. Uh, it's lifestyle-friendly. So keto, paleo, vegan, daily-free, gluten-free. It costs less than your expensive coffee that you're wasting money on. It doesn't make you healthy. You can have both, by the way. It has over 7,000 five-star reviews. And by the way, it's made by a company that believes in philanthropy, much as we do. They donated over 1.2 million meals to kids, by the way, in 2020. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And this podcast is sponsored by Better Health. Look, uh, better help. Pardon me. See, I need to say it right. Better help. And people do make that mistake. So make sure you don't make that mistake. It's better help. H E L P. Um, this is really simple. Mental health is something we should talk about in the way we talk about any health. You talk about spraining your ankle. Like I did this summer. You talk about, um, you know, having high blood pressure. You talk about your mental health, do it. It will make you a healthier person just by talking about it and acknowledging it as an issue. You got to be in problem solving mode. Life isn't just about, Hey, now I'm in crisis. If you solve problems in advance, you can avoid a crisis. BetterHelp lets you find a therapist that fits your needs, that may be um, geared towards a specialty you might need. These are licensed therapists. You can get matched with them in under 48 hours. You can do it camera on or camera off, so you can have as much privacy as you want. You can change therapists if you need to at any time. It's also less expensive than in-person therapy, and that may not even be available where you are. So when you want to be a better problem-solver therapy, can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash arsenalvision today to get 10% off your first month. That's better, dot com slash arsenalvision. Okay, lastly, because we always have to tell you about the hiring partner that lets you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Look, if you aren't using Indeed right now, basically you don't care about your business. It's that simple. Do you care about your business? Just like your health? You better. Indeed's data shows over 80% of employers find quality candidates Whose resume on Indeed matches their job description, the moment they sponsor a job. Instant match is one of the features. We've talked about virtual interviews. We've talked about all these things. But instant match, basically, as soon as you sponsor a job post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away. Sponsor a job, boom. Instant match shows you candidates right then. That's it. Join over three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent faster. Remember that the one place where you don't pay if you don't get the candidates that, that you need, remember? So like it should work that way, and it does work that way. Indeed knows that when you're doing everything for your company, you can't afford to overspend on hiring. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms can just apply. Cost per pricing not available for everyone. You die! Tim? Yeah. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Got it. Oh, that is all, I, you know, it's weird, right? Like at one point in time, I was like so sheepish about doing the ad reads, but they're so cathartic. I get, I get all this like emotion out into them. I'm able to pour all this excess energy into them. And I find it quite releasing. So uh, if you don't enjoy it, I totally understand. You can go to Patreon listen to the ad-free version, but, but I am going to continue to do them in that fashion if you will stick with us. Tim, uh, okay, <laughs> hard to believe anyone ever voted for this thing as best Premier League podcast. So uh, Tim, Liverpool is an interesting one. I think one of the things we, I think we sometimes forget, is that there are cycles, and they end. There's this weird thing, right? So, like, we used to live in a world where the United and Arsenal had more resources than everyone, right? Madrid and Barcelona, Bayern Munich, what you know, Juve and AC Milan, and so those teams were just always at the top of their league. They were always at the top of their league, right? If Madrid had a down cycle, Tim, it meant that they were like in the quarterfinal of the Champions League and finish second or third. When they have their up cycle, they win both. And that's how it used to be for Arsenal. That's how it used to be for United. But it has fundamentally changed. And I think the thing we have to wrap our brain around a little bit is you're going to have a window now. You're going to have a cycle where you get good players together, you get the right manager, you grow into it together, and you open a window to be top four, maybe top three, maybe top two, maybe a title winner. Maybe go far in the Champions League or win it and then those players will start to age or they'll start to get picked off and that window will start to close and you will have to start again. And when you start again, you will likely have to absorb some body blows and go down a little bit. Now, all right, if you're resourced the way like a city are, you may never have to do that. But for, I think, every other team really, and maybe even city eventually when Pep leaves, that's going to happen. It's happening to Liverpool in reverse of what's happening to us. And I wanted to get your take on this idea of windows because I think we're in a critical moment now. We are at the start of the kind of window we saw them have. The group is together, the core of it, the guts of it. The manager's in place. The football looks like it's in place. We are starting to see what it can do. That will not last forever, right? At some point, maybe three seasons from now or four seasons from now, the players will start to get picked off or leave. Maybe one or two start aging out like a Thomas party, like a Granite Shaka in a season or so, and you have to start replacing. Do you think it's fair to say that maybe Liverpool's window is just closing? But also, that ours is open, and now the expectations have to be that these next few seasons are fundamentally our opportunity to go do whatever we think this project we keep hearing about can do
2: that That's definitely the attitude that Arsenal the club should be taking. Arsenal should be saying Liverpool look vulnerable, Chelsea look vulnerable, Tottenham, you know, like we've been discussing, maybe look vulnerable as well, and that this is our time kind of thing. The um, City's a different thing altogether because they're players that age out. David Silva, no, brilliant player. No one notices he's gone because they've got Phil Foden. Fernandinho, brilliant player. No one notices he's gone because they spent £50 million on Rod- on Rodri two years ago, allowed him to settle in. You know, <laughs> Sterling, Gabriel Jesus have gone, but they've got Haaland. And so, you know, it it doesn't happen as easily when you've got infinite money. For Liverpool... I think there are yeah I think there are a couple of things going on. Obviously, most of their team is the same age, which is brilliant until they all get old um, together. But and I think the thing for Liverpool is at the moment what they've been doing is remodelling that front line because they had Firmino, Mane, Salah, all exactly the same age on exactly the same level of contract. And what they've done is you know love, kill, marry type of thing. They've gone we can't renew all of them. We shouldn't do that. And so what we should probably do is let one run down Firmino, sell one Mane, and then put our money into Salah. So that's kind of what they're doing. And they are already bought in Jota. They've got Nunez. They've got Diaz. So they're trying to remodel that front line. The issue they've really got, I think, is in midfield, where their midfield's starting to look quite old now. And guys like Henderson and Milner can't do what they used to do. Now, they have got players underneath that, like uh, Carvalho and um, Harvey Elliott, who look like really good players. Um, I think Curtis Jones looks like a decent player, but he's had injury problems So like they're not quite there with that midfield. And I think they really want Bellingham, I think. I think they've wanted that for quite a while. They brought in Thiago as a bit of a sticking plaster for a couple of years, and he's been injured. They brought in Cater, he's been injured. So they've been done by injuries a little bit in that midfield area as well. And that's, I think, quite a big problem for them. And that's beginning to expose some of the weaknesses we know they have in defence, like behind Alexander-Arnold. And now Virgil van Dijk, he's getting older as well. And he's had an ACL and I think it's too early to say that he's on a downward curve, but this season like Virgil van Dijk had um, evolved to this amazing position where people didn't even try to take him on. Um, You know, there was that statistic about how he hadn't been beaten by a dribble for like 17 years or something. It's because no one tried. (laughs) It was 16, but yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but it's because no one tried. Everyone was just like, I'll, I'll go somewhere else. See you later. Kind of thing. And and maybe he's lost a little bit of that. I don't know. Maybe I think it's more to do with their structure. Like the midfield is not quite the solid block it once was, basically. I'm not sure Henderson can do that, covering Alexander Arnold's arse as much as he used to. And that's a that's a difficult thing to buy for, because what they've got at the moment is Harvey Elliott really likes that right side of midfield and he's a brilliant player, but he's not Jordan Henderson. He's not going to go in and like fill it and play like as a almost as a right back to cover Alexander Arnold. He wants to go forward and he wants to create and things like that. So like that right side looks vulnerable all of a sudden. And basically it's it's a whack-a-mole thing, right? Like you pick at little places, you get exposed um a little bit. And I, I think one of the big things that probably happened to Liverpool was COVID. And COVID mm. probably because <clears throat> that's when they gave like Van Dyke the big new contract. Like they gave a lot of guys in their late twenties, early thirties New contracts, because they obviously decided that that was more cost effective than replacing them, whereas had it not been for that covid year financially mm. where a lot of clubs were very uncertain they might they might have got Bellingham a year earlier they might they might have been able to go and do something like that, and look they 're not paupers and, and they get spent,
1: bigger money for for yeah. the players they wanted to, right like If there had been a hundred million market for Salah, would they have moved on? If there had been a hundred million market for Van Dyke, there wasn't at that time. Yeah,
2: exactly. They got thirty million for Mane. Still good business to get for a thirty-year-old, but yeah, like absent COVID, not not
1: Coutinho money.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, and absent COVID, you probably could have added like another fifteen million onto that. So I do think that their team build has been impacted by that a little bit. And of course, we've got these questions as well around. "Mm, Isn't this about the time that the Dortmund thing went sour for Klopp? um mm. and look that that might be a coincidence we don't know that this is a permanent thing it might just be they've got a couple of injuries they're settling some guys in i i'm expecting don't I, again i'm expecting them to have a strong season don't get me wrong i don't i don't think they're going to win the league i don't i basically don't think they can almost anymore they're no almost they're going to be good
1: and they're going to be in the top four yeah.
2: it, exactly exactly but again longer term how do they fix some of these
1: just these little
2: potholes um well, that have started to appear
1: And this is the thing, look, fans don't have to be on board with project thinking. You don't have to be. If you want to expect every season to be a success, you're absolutely entitled to do that. Seasons aren't there to be discarded. You know, as fans, look, start thinking about how many years you have left on this planet. That's how many football seasons you have left. Everyone that your club just throws away in pursuit of a project is a season of your life gone, right? So Yeah, you know, and no one
2: it, no one puts the season ticket prices down and says, yeah, do you know what? This, this year we might season. finish seventh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Yeah, this is a project season. Your season ticket's kind of half. But clubs have to think in terms of projects. They have to. And I think what's interesting with Liverpool, for example, is liver. the reason we talk about them a lot is they are the apotheosis of how a project can work. And there's always luck, always some. Like, look at Leicester. They won the league in a season where everybody else stunk. But like Liverpool have done it in a really impressive way. They made a decision. They had to stick or twist. Do we re- do we start over a new project or do we stretch the window as far as we can with this group? They opted to stretch. And that may be, as you pointed out, Tim, the COVID market not giving them the kind of return on the sales that they would have needed to start over. So they stretched. And what I mean by stretched is they held on to a Thiago and a Salah and a Van Dyke to say, we think we can get another title out of this group. You know, maybe Klopp said, guys, I'm not here for the next cycle. I'm here for what this can get. And we may be at the end of that, or maybe not. But I think it is interesting, because in our current project, Tim, there's going to come a point where Real Madrid want Martinelli, or City want Saka, or somebody, you know, Barso wants Saliba, or PSG wants it. You know, th- th- it's going to happen. It's You know, if these players are as good as we think they are, then people are going to come for them. There's no way you can have the best players in the world and have nobody come for them. Now, Liverpool did sell. They sold Coutinho. That was the fundamental move they made. They sold Suarez before that, I guess, but that, that goes back a while. And, and they and they sold Coutinho, and they, they built around that. And I think the reason they were able to hold on to their players is they're a big club. They pay big wages, but they were winning titles in Champions League. They gave their players the belief that you could be at one of the biggest clubs in the world competing for the biggest trophies. I'm curious how you think about this in terms of are we going to have to set our mindset right that we understand at some point there may be a piece of this group that we have to sell and replace that this that this isn't necessarily linear or or should it be or how, how do you how do you think about that cuz like we haven't had good prime age players in a long time so we haven't had anyone really coming for our good prime age players like it, you have to go back to the sort of Fabregas Van Percy Nasri years to really experience the heartache of losing a player we actually cared about particularly. Um, if anything, we've held on to players longer than we should have in this sort of iteration of Arsenal. So how do you think about that aspect of this project in terms of a willingness to understand that there may be pieces that move on to replace them with more pieces or better pieces or however that works?
2: Yeah, definitely. And this is where, I, and, and yeah, we, we are going to have to accept that um definitely i I imagine there will be at some point at least one big fairly reluctant sale and 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 then it's about what you do with that now we could get lucky like liverpool and have someone wildly overvalue (laughs) one of our okayish players who probably doesn't even fit the system anyway like with coutinho who you know i i i think there was a Br- objectively brilliant case for selling him anyway, even mm. like absent that yep. that um that kind of level of uh that level of a bid. I, I think also one of the things maybe if we can make a good sale somewhere, um maybe to offset that a little bit. So maybe look at a player who's good, but you know, like find our Coutinho, as it were, like a player that's good, but maybe one we can stand to lose. But but you're right, like we're not really in control of um of you know when it comes to like players like Saka Martinelli we we're, we're not really in control of that i'm reasonably optimistic on players like Jesus and Zinchenko we've got them at 25 they've kind of been at city already um so i think that gives us a little bit of added security actually because what you don't want is everyone's 21 and then when everyone's 23 you know, you you want that, that like slight mix. So I'm reasonably optimistic that like Jesus, Zinchenko, at least the next three years, you know, um, absolutely fine. So those pillars are a bit more secure maybe, but you know, maybe if we take a decision um, on someone, maybe somewhere where we've got players. And the other thing is like, let's say like it happens and Man City come in for Saka and, and whatever, like, being smart about how you replace those players and that doesn't always as we've seen and as Liverpool have shown that doesn't always mean replacing them like for like so like with the Coutinho money Liverpool didn't go and buy another Coutinho they bought a goalkeeper and a centre half and and that's what we might have to do we might have to look at allocating that money into inefficiencies so look if if we have to sell Saka, for example, we're probably not going to be able to buy another Bakayoko Saka. That's that's kind of not how it works. So you either no. you either try and reveal an inefficiency in the market in that position, or more likely, you go, okay, we have a big stack of cash here. We can buy two players here, and you know we can really look at an area where we think we're maybe weak. So so maybe selling Saka like funds the Thomas Party replacement or something, for example. And and we've seen that before, right? When we sold Henri, we didn't go and buy another Henri. Um, you know, we bought back Risanya, the the summer that we we sold Henri. I'm not saying that those are directly linked. It's just the the timeline. But you know, be, being smart about how you allocate the money when you get it, as well, and not doing they're kind of, oh my God, someone's just given us 50 million for Fernando Torres, whose hamstrings are <laughs> hanging off the bone anyway, and then going and spending all the money on, like, Andy Carroll. Um, you know, I mean, I hope our rivals that. do
1: that in perpetuity. But yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. exactly.
1: Um, I think the thing I would say is that, like, and this is what's so hard, the problem with comparing anything to Liverpool is, not only did they have Klopp, who's special, and we might have someone who's special as well, they got a lot of luck, and they got a lot of things right And you can't get it right all the time. You almost have to get it right. The big moves have to get... Like, we got it right with Gabriel Jesus. You can't get that wrong. You can't go get a striker and be wrong about it. Like, for example, I think Liverpool might be wrong about Nunez. It's interesting. I was watching our scouting video on Patreon of Nunez again. And, like, Clive and I were laughing at certain points. Like, this is the guy? Like, this was back in January when we were linked. And I was like, he's got the touch of an oxen. You know, like, this is crazy. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad player. He can run in behind and score tons of goals. But you know what I think is funny, by the way, just as an aside... Sometimes I think clubs have huge blind spots for players that play well against them. Like, Nunez was good against Liverpool, and they bought Nunez. And I think that that's a trap that a lot of teams have fallen into. So so let's finish with this, Tim. The Premier League is fundamentally changing. First of all, we're going to get an extra Champions League spot, right? We're going to go to five, which fundamentally changes things. Are we then going to say top five is a trophy? Top five is good enough? You know, the interesting reality is that what is good enough to some extent has always been driven by Champions League qualification as the bare minimum, but never really thought of in terms of the context of who's actually good in the league. Arsenal finished in Champions League places for 20 years under Arsene Banger, and that is an um, amazing accomplishment. But it's also an accomplishment that should have been expected given the relative strength of Arsenal economically and, and the weakness of the teams around them. By and large, who was competing with us for the first 10 years? No one but United, really, a bit of Liverpool. And then it was United and Chelsea, and a bit of Liverpool, and a bit of Tottenham, but mostly Arsenal. And then it was City, and then it did start to get hard. And now it's going to get harder still, because now you have teams. Every single season going forward, the following teams are going to expect to be in the Champions League. City, United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, and pretty soon Newcastle. City, Liverpool, United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Newcastle. That's seven. Seven doesn't go into four. Seven doesn't go into five. And so the reason I'm asking this, Tim, is I I think, you know, five out of ten seasons, odds are you're probably not going to be in that group. Because everybody in that group will expect that they should be there and consider it failure if they're not. Now, this isn't me saying we should lower our expectations, not remotely. But how how do you square the notion that we should raise our expectations, that we shouldn't lower our expectations, with the reality that, from a resource standpoint, we are in a cluster of seven teams, some of whom are about the same as us, and some of whom are far beyond us in terms of their spending. And we are expecting to finish above at least three of them every single season because that's the goal and beyond. But realistically, from an, if you were an outsider looking in, you'd say, yeah, they'll probably do it two out of every three seasons or three out of every five seasons. But as fans, we're not prepared to accept that. How's, how's that landscape change influence the way you think about our seasons and what we should be shooting for?
2: it definitely has and and look this has already been happening anyway like you said like chelsea and city coming in already changed our expectations from competing for the title with united every year to kind mm-hmm. of third fourth and that was that even that was difficult like we look at that now and say wow we finished third or fourth like all those years but it was people didn't like it at the time i didn't always <laughs> like it either because we were used to being one or two and then it's like three or four and so, you know, th- this stuff, it's 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 like it's been happening for a while, um, essentially. And then like during that period, like you said, Liverpool were very in and out um, and they're not anymore. They're very, very much in. So it, it's one of those things where you kind of, you know, I'd say like hope for the best and plan for the worst yeah basically um and definitely in terms of expectations i think like in an individual season yeah you should go in with the expectations that you have but really i think what you're looking for is a level of performance or a level of sustainability like last season i'm like i'm okay with last season because i kind of think if a cup even with even if like a couple of other things had gone a different way like one injury less i think we'd have done it um and because of like where we are on like the cycle and all of that and as we've already discussed like i'd be less accepting of that this year i'd be less accepting of the idea that our left back being injured fucks us for the last two months of the season um but we've gone out and addressed we have
1: two good ones Yeah, (laughs) yeah yeah we've gone out and addressed
2: that like very directly so you know we're on a different curve expectation wise so yeah like last season i was thinking sixth fifth that's progress Obviously, it was disappointing that we didn't get fourth. But so you kind of just have to go with the ebb and flow of it. And I think really what you, you you have like a a micro focus and a macro focus. So the micro focus, like last season, was disappointing because it was in our hands and we threw it away. But the yeah. the the zoom out is well, there were these circumstances, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I almost feel like you have to treat every season like that. So this season yeah, I'm expecting to finish in the top four. I think we're playing well enough. we bought good enough players. The football's good enough. Like, go out and do it. Um, but, you know, it might be that at the end of the season, when I zoom out, I might say, we got like 76 points and we didn't get in. Um, you know, like, it's kind of like, that's a level of performance that gets you in a lot of years. And that's that's kind of like last year. Like last year, that would have got us in um, a lot of years. So yeah, I, I think yeah, that's you've correct. kind of got to think about it with two brains almost.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I think this is the hard thing for a lot of people because I think you, how do you zoom out when it comes to football? Football is the most emotional, tribal, energetic sort of sensation when it comes to the way you think about it. It's hard to zoom out. It's hard to be quote unquote objective. Objectivity is a thing people say you should have that nobody actually has. Right, People love to tell other people to be objective without ever actually being able to be objective themselves. But Tim, you, you want every season to be special and you want every season to be a title season. I think there's a difference between what fans have to think and what clubs have to think, but I think here's what I'm going to try to do for myself. I'm going to try to objectively at least say, do I think the club are doing the right things? Do I think we are dumb and bad or smart and good? If I think we're dumb and bad, I'm generally going to be unhappy. You know, even if we finish fifth and grab that last Champions League place, I'm not going to say, oh, it's success because I'm going to be like, well, we got there, but the process is bad. We're not going to be good for very long. If I think we're smart and good, we're buying quality players in the right age bracket to build the right project and the positions of need. And, you know, we're, we're playing the right kind of football that I think has the ceiling. Like, because the goal should be to win a title every, what, 10 years? Can we at least ask for that? right? One in 10 years, compete for one every seven or eight years. We haven't been doing it, but that should be the goal. The only way you're going to get there is by doing things right. I think we're going to have to have some ability to look at process. And if we think the process is right, but it yields failure, it's okay to still be miserable, upset, angry, but at least say, okay, I I think what we're trying to do is right. And if the process is bad, recognizing that that's very unlikely to get you in your, Cause you know what? You could have had bad process 15 years ago and just on the resources alone and the stupidity of your competitors, Tim, you could have still been okay. You know what I mean? You could still be okay. You could play football where you score a lot of goals, but concede six to your rivals and still finish top four. Cause most of the league is garbage. Those days are gone. And so if you're a dumb club, you're going to get spanked in this premier league. You're going to wind up like Everton almost getting relegated out of the league, right? You're going to wind up like Arsenal, Arsenal are one of the big legendary clubs in the league and for a couple of seasons we were finishing eighth because we did a lot of dumb shit. Arsenal doesn't finish eighth by luck. We finished eighth because we asked to finish eighth with a lot of really dumb moves. So is that it, Tim? Does it basically boil down to like this league is going to be unforgiving. If you are dumb and bad and do stupid shit, you're going to get punished. And if you do smart stuff, you, you may not even succeed all the time because of how tough the league is, but you're going to have the maximum chance for reward and we just need to start Being able to be a little, as you said, sort of macro focused, meta focused to be able to step back from the game by game obsession, which is the fun part, let's be honest, and just say, do I think the way we're approaching things looks smart and sensible? Because right now, right now, I absolutely think it is smart and sensible.
2: I completely agree and have nothing further to add, your honor. (laughs)
1: Perfect. All right. Well, let's leave it there. I mean, it is an interlal pot after all. We are going to have um – a uh, uh, Brentford rewatch coming up as, and, as well as some other fun stuff. I know there's, we're going to cover uh, women's football too. Tim and Clive have a conversation coming up about that. So that's going to be fantastic. Don't want you to think we've we've left that out. Um, and, and so that's going to be a part of the content schedule coming up. We'll get a little more heated into things next week as the Derby approaches and what I think is going to be a fun day for Arsenal fans, hopefully. It's never a fun day, is it? It's always an agonizing day until it isn't, but we will see. So we'll leave it there. Tim's on Twitter at Scoberto. Thank you very much, Tim.
2: My pleasure as always.
1: My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommended. A lot of you still haven't done it. I really can't recommend it strongly enough. But we love you. We love you so much. If you want to vote for us in the FCA's, please do. We'll have a tweet out. You can go to Arsenal V Podcast on, on Twitter and see how to do that if you want to. Hang in there, everyone. Football will eventually be back. One game in September, and then a million in October, just the way we planned it. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal ten, Tottenham nil.